On today's show, I am joined by Andrew Kelly Petrie for a summer check-in. And unfortunately, Vic Krejci is no longer a member of the Hawks. We'll get into all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1537 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Lots on Podcast Network. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And also, please check us out anywhere you get your podcasts and make us your first listen each and every day. With all that out of the way, I am joined on today's podcast. I don't always do the live intro with the person already on the line with me, but this is a, this is a, he's a friend of the podcast. We're, we're rolling live tonight, and it's Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops and the Internet. Andrew, hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm living the dream. Uh, you know, we were talking about doing this, uh, and I we got we got a little bit of news today, so uh, I'm going to do this with you on the show as well because you have, I'm sure, some sort of insight on this. But V. Krejci is no longer a member of the Hawks organization. That was the big news on Wednesday. The Hawks chose to waive him. Uh, if, you, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you will probably know this is not a a big surprise. He was uh, the 16th player on a 15 person roster. And that generally means you're probably going to get waived at some point. I have predicted multiple times that if they didn't make a big trade and they could still do that, but if they didn't make a trade, he was going to get waived and he got waived today. Uh, Andrew, do you uh, have any uh, parting words for V Krejci at the end of an era? He, he, I, nothing else. He was a fantastic bench uh, celebrator. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He seemed like a very good teammate. Um, yes. Our friend Wes Borton, I, I think it was him. He made a good comment once that he's like a quadruple A player to use a baseball analogy. And I think that's probably pretty fitting for him. If he ended up in just like the right kind of situation where he could get more playing time and develop a little bit more, I could see how he could be, you know, a fringe possible rotation guy. I just don't think Atlanta was a great spot for him, but he did seem like a great bench guy as far as energy. Yeah. And everybody loves him. Honestly, it was just a numbers game. So I won't go through the whole long spiel here, but um, basically the Hawks had 15 guys still, still on guaranteed contracts. You can only carry 15 coming into the season. That, that does not include two ways, but they would have had to either trade someone or cut someone that had guaranteed money, or they could do the very easy thing in some respects, which was just move on from Veet. And I think, and no one's told me this directly, but I have a strong feeling that they did this now as kind of a favor to Veet, which might sound funny, but um, if you already knew that the likelihood or the strong likelihood that he w- w- is that he was going to be waived in October, if you go ahead and do it now, it gives him a chance to go to camp with somebody else, maybe, maybe find a two-way contract or whatever, because I think he might have a job in the NBA next year. So I, I think this is something, also something the Hawks have done, you know, especially with Schlenk, but this is a new regime now, but they've liked to give guys um, sort of a, a little bit of a hand on the way out the door. And I think this is a, a small thing. He was he was not guaranteed, so no money going to Veet here, but I think it's better for Veet to be cut now than it would have been to be cut uh, sort of in you know, October. Yeah, fully. It gives them a better chance to explore what teams might be out there. I'd like to see him get an NBA job. I'm not totally confident he can stick as a long-term player, but you know, it, hopefully that was motivated by just trying to find him a, a spot where he can get a little bit more time. Yeah, and he is eligible for a two-way, too, so that helps him. He still has the years of service required to do that, and there's just more jobs now with two ways, and there's three of those in every team. Uh, for Somebody asked me this today. The Hawks could technically sign him to a two-way if he clears waivers, which he may. Uh, 
I will say he's on a, he's on a, he's on a fairly favorable contract if a team liked him because it's non guaranteed through January. So he might get picked up. But if he doesn't, the Hawks could technically sign him to a two way. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but they it's they're allowed to. So someone asked me that today as well. Um, so from there. Uh, the real reason I was going to have you on the podcast is kind of just to touch on, you know, what's going on in Hawksland. We're like two months away, basically now, from the actual season starting. We have the in-season tournament schedule, which I will hold off on talking about until tomorrow because the actual schedule comes out on Thursday, the entire regular season schedule. Um, unless you have thoughts on that, we can kind of move on to, like, the uh, the changes that have happened. And, you know, there aren't that many changes. But uh, I have to start here, Andrew, because uh, you and I have talked about this for years and years and years. The only major change to the roster, you know where I'm going with this, is the fact the Hawks traded John Collins for very little back, basically just dumped his contract. Um, you, you and I have been on opposite sides of John Collins for a long time, but uh, I do want to start there because, uh, and honestly, just not, not not to troll you or anything like that, but because like that is the only major move that they made, and there's been a lot of talk about like what that means for the roster. Um, you know, I did a podcast this week with Josh Lloyd, and like I had a win total that was higher than last year, and his question was basically like, didn't they get worse? And it's like, well, kind of like the roster is maybe worse, but also they have internal growth and all that stuff. So. Um, you can talk about this too, but what, what do you make of sort of that decision and also the fact that they basically haven't done anything else other than just like you know, stuff on the margins with draft picks and Wes Matthews, et cetera? Well, on the Collins front, I think you could see that move coming for a while. I mean, he's been rumored to trade rumors for I don't know how many years now, like three or four, it seems like. Yeah. So I don't think it was a surprise when they finally moved on. And the diminished offensive role, I just kind of think that it, it sort of made it inevitable that he was going to be moved on at some point. Utah, Danny Ainge is like, like a big fan of his as far as like he's he was always kind of lightly connected to rumors in Boston. So it didn't really surprise me that he ended up coming for him. And, you know, obviously they should have traded him way before that. I think we're in like total agreement there that they should have never let his trade value get to the point to where he's a pure salary dump. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I, I had said privately to you that leading up to the trade, that I thought it was possible the best deal they might get was like, you know, some kind of Marcus Morris filler deal from the Clippers that we have to eat a year of bad money and then you can move on. So to get, to get completely off, create that large trade exception, but, but you know, they're probably not going to use, but just on paper is still nice. Um, but declining importance to the Hawks, you know, just continually moving down the totem pole as far as like the hierarchy goes, I think was a theme that we saw. I, I don't think he was a good fit really in either end for a Quinn Snyder approach. So I think it was kind of inevitable that he moved on. He's still somebody that when you look at the multi-year sample, like you could be very encouraged for him from a Utah perspective. I, I don't know that the shot is going to get back to the way it was uh, pre-finger injury. It's possible, but I, I think he's a better shooter at least than he was, you know, 29% or so in Atlanta. Um, so I, I think it probably was, you know, it, it was definitely for the best for both sides, in my opinion. Uh, something that I kind of come back to is that when you get, 80% of what you want in a deal, a lot of times holding out for that extra 20 will burn you again and again. It's something you kind of have to learn in life. And I think the Hawks probably had some good offers for Collins. I know they had at least one good one from uh, Sacramento. Mm. So they really just took way too long to get off of them. And then when it finally reached a point to where it was hard for it to be a sustainable fit for their team, um, his value was just so low that it just ended up being a pure dump. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's really a complicated facet because it involves how you look at their, you know, their, their roster sheet. When you project down the line, getting off that much money really does become advantageous as far as having flexibility. I mean, it doesn't make them a cap space team, but it does remove a deal that was widely perceived as not being great. 
from the uh, equation. So I think that helps. But yeah, I mean, we've been prepared for this for a long time. So it wasn't like a shock or anything, but it's just unfortunate they couldn't get better value. You brought up um, one of the things I want to ask you about, and that's kind of the the long-term aspect as well, because, you know, I've talked about ad nauseum about the Hawks tax avoidance and they did it again this year um, artfully, but they, you know, I think the primary motivator on the Collins deal was to save money. There were fit issues as well that you bring up and you're right about, like he, he wasn't a great fit with what Cyrus really wants, especially next to a center that can't shoot. Um, but it's like looking ahead, this is one of the things I know you're really interested in, like team building wise, there are some interesting questions with this roster right now, because, it's going to be the same exact thing next year. Like you're going to look up a year from now. And I feel like it's going to be deja vu on this podcast and other places where I'm talking about like, okay, are they going to pay the tax again? Because you have extension possibilities with Sadiq Bay and a And if you pay those guys, what I would describe as something like market value and don't do anything else, you're in the tax again. And are they going to do a third straight season of basically shedding someone that they kind of like, and that's a good player for base, not nothing, but for future capital in the harder trade and basically nothing for Collins, or are they going to actually, you know, start to spend some money? I think the, the short answer is it depends on how they play this year, probably. And also, you know, ownership level stuff, but like big picture, because I know something you think about a lot, like what do you think of the way that they're building the roster, you know, beyond the court, you know, the court matters on this thing, but like, as far as like how they're laying it out, because you know, you know, you have Trey, they paid DeJounte on a deal that everybody seems to like, including me, but that's a commitment that you have long-term. You already, you paid Hunter, et cetera. Like, you know, from a cold calculation, you know, cap team building standpoint, how are you feeling about the Hawks right now? Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Football season is about to be kicking off, of course, and FanDuel is giving you a chance to win all season long because right now, when you've been a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every single time they win in the regular season. Pick any team in the NFL to win the Super Bowl. You'll get bonus bets for each and every victory, and you can use, use those bonus bets on point spreads and player props, over-unders, and much more. The FanDuel app is safe and secure, and they have all kinds of betting angles across the sports world for you that cover the whole range of sports. That includes, of course, football, NFL, college football, etc., NBA, WNBA, college basketball, MLB, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, all that fun stuff, hockey when it comes. They have everything that you're looking for at FanDuel, and there's no better place in the entire world to bet on all of the football and basketball action than America's number one sports book. That is FanDuel, of course. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning those bonus bets right now. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Check out FanDuel today. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can go with this, and we'll probably touch on it later, I'd imagine, with Siakam. But what I personally think that, you know, my read of the situation that they're trying to do is this, this summer was really about just cleaning up the cap sheet that didn't make a lot of sense. You know, if you looked at the way that the team was perceived around the league. Um, I remember uh, a prominent cap space guy just looking at their sheet and just was very negative about it. And it made a lot of sense to me too, especially after the exits, you know, in the first round of playoffs, both years is, was kind of a capped out roster. But what I think they're trying to do is they have a, a pretty impressive group of young guys overall. I mean, they have Jalen Johnson, um, Griffin, Kongu, and now they've added Buck into the equation. Um, I'm not, completely certain but i believe they have about three tradable first round picks you know everybody always kind of like assumes that Dejounte trade was like for a lot more than it was you know i've heard people think that they think they gave up like four first round picks or something like that and that obviously wasn't the case so they still can build a pretty impressive offer for an established star and i think that's what they're going to do eventually like it, it siakam may not be the guy that they end up getting but they're going to be pretty aggressive in trying to add that third player around Trey and Dejounte. And they have a decent amount of options with their young guys and future picks that they can cobble together. They can do that. 
And at the same time, they're trying to make sure that they don't have deals that are perceived as negative on their books. So they could potentially send that out in the trade and not have that be counted as bad value or just have more optionality with the roster in general. And when you look at the cap sheet right now, I mean, they have DeJounte on what's clearly a team-friendly deal. You have Trey at market value. Um, really, Hunter is the only guy where I think you can point to and say that's that deal is probably not great. I mean, it, it's still movable. You can still get something, I think, for Hunter, but it's probably not great. Um, so otherwise, I think the cap sheet is pretty you know, remarkably improved. I mean, maybe remarkable is a little bit of a overstatement, but just moving on from Collins and getting DeJounte on such a nice deal, I think it's, it's pretty big for the long term. So I think they do have a lot of options. I mean, eventually, um, I do expect them to make a, a pretty sizable move for a third guy, just com- you know, combining young players and uh, picks. Yeah, I think they clearly want to. It's just like where that actually comes around because, you know, Siakam is the one that we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, it's interesting because I can see all sides of this. Like I've laid it out the way that you just did about like, look, they don't really have any bad contracts. Like Hunter is the one that's debatable, but I I do think, and from what I even heard this summer, they could have moved Hunter like pretty easily. The thing they're trying to treat positive value. Like they're trying to treat Hunter like positive value, which you can debate. And I I don't think that's a positive value contract, but if it was just a, Hey, we're really urgent to dump DeAndre Hunter's contract. They could have done it very easily. That's not how. That's not what they were trying to do. But that that generally means that it's not a terrible contract. It may not be a great one, but it's okay. And Capella, same thing. Capella's appropriately paid right now for what he is. Um, Bogey's a long term deal, but it's it's declining. Dejounte, everyone like that deal. Trey is Trey. So like, I agree with you on that standpoint. But then I st- I take a step back, and I know you you follow these circles too. Like, I think nationally, it's kind of like okay, the Hawks are capped out. They're not taxed out like they could have been, and they're not. But they they also don't have a ton of flexibility like naturally. I think they have flexibility in this in the literal sense of like if they really want to do something, they could. But they don't have cap space. They don't have these like screaming bargain contracts. They don't have the one blue chip young player that they know they can trade. Like I know we like I like AJ. I like I like Jalen. But like to this point, those guys are not viewed as these like world changing assets across the league. So like. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what the question is. It's more like I, I'm fascinated by the, by the discussion because I, I kind of feel like they're in decent shape. But also, and this, I'm not trying to go back to this all the time, but if they are not willing to spend, it does become harder because like under your proposition there of basically going out and getting a third star, they have the assets to do it, no question. They have the filler salary. They have, the, they have enough picks, capital probably to do it, uh, especially when you factor in guys like AJ and Jail if you need to trade those guys. But – are you willing to commit the financial resources? Because if you look at how teams are built now, if you have a guy making the real max, which is what Trey is making, if you're trying to build a three, a three, a free player team, you have to be willing to pay into the tax and they just haven't been willing to get there. And that's, that's the big question, I guess. Yeah. I think you noted there. I mean, if you have a player in the 30% max that Trey's on, then you really have to be willing to be a luxury team. If you have the expectation of a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs, there's really no way around that. Um, and this ownership group has never paid a luxury tax famously. So it's something that you kind of have to see until you believe it. Um, I do think eventually they're, they're going to come to a point where they're going to have to, to do it or they're going to run into problems with personnel. Um, yes. <laughs> longer term, longer term. I mean, I don't think you can expect them to keep all of their young guys, but I think a lot of it right now is just trying to maintain a flexible position. Like I said, you don't really have bad deals on the books. I mean, Hunter's kind of an asterisk, but um, and then you have some young guys that you would like to see in larger roles to get a better evaluation of them. 
Um, we still have not yet seen, you know, a Kongu in a starting role. Uh, Griff Griffin is still somebody that's probably going to be like the eighth, you know, middle rotation type player this year. Jalen Johnson's obviously uh, poised for a bigger role this year. So we'd like to get a longer look at them to kind of get a better sense of what their ceiling could be and what their trade value could be, how they might fit with the pieces longer term. So I think really the, the main goal of this offseason has just been trying to create more flexibility and importantly, more playing time for the young guys to get longer looks there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, I think about teams that were famously seen as cheap, like like let's just say Denver. Honestly, Denver just won the title, right? Denver has been noted as a cheap organization. Milwaukee, same thing. And I'm not saying that Trey is Giannis and Jokic because he's because he's, he's not. But when they started to spend money, it's because they kind of had to, both to appease their stars and also because they were kind of already on the cusp of that. You could right. argue where the, where the Hawks were already there in 2021. That seemed like more of a fluke than anything else, not trying to be a negative thing about it. It's, they weren't on that level as a team quality from that season. They just they had a great run and it happened. But I wonder if they're like more like nudged in that direction by by success. And I think they're hoping for that too. And when you, when you were talking a second ago, it's popping in my head. You and I have been talking about uh, sort of consolidation trades for probably three or four years now. And They've never made one still. And like, honestly, if I asked you that three years ago, by the middle of 24, by the middle of 23, are they, will they have made a, a, a consolidation trade? It would have definitely been a yes. And they just haven't. And unfortunately what they've done instead was shed Herder and shed Collins in different kind of more maddening ways. But like, it is a surprise to me. I haven't really thought about this in a while, but like, like I think we're all looking for that trade still, because like you said a second ago, no team basically keeps their entire eight, nine player core together. Like that's what that's, that, that just doesn't happen. But like they haven't done one of those very obvious two for one, three for one trades that we're all kind of waiting on, I feel like. Right. I mean, you can make the argument that Murray does kind of represent that. But like you said, they, they really just did it with future picks. They didn't really do it by yeah. consolidating young guys I mean, or anything Murray, like that. Murray, Murray, was, Murray was Gallinari in picks. It wasn't actually yeah. like the, any of the young core players. I mean, I know, and Reddish didn't work out. Obviously, they trade Herder, but like, None of the guys that we've thought about as those consolidation pieces have been moved. They're all either still here or they're moved by themselves in kind of sell-off trade. It's, it's kind of strange the way it's happened. I agree with that. And right now it's also just hard to do because you don't really know how to value these guys. Like Griffin had a very impressive teenage rookie season, like something that you rarely see from a 19-year-old to put up those efficiency numbers and the shot profile that he had. But he hasn't played long enough to where you can say, okay, this guy looks like somebody that could be a future top 40 player. There's just not enough sample size from that that you can give you know, teams around the league that type of suggestion in a trade that he could be you know, the primary piece in like a trade that nets you some kind of star or something like that. So I think that this year, it, really getting a longer look at those guys is going to be really pivotal for the long term, just because, especially for Jalen Johnson, just because he's had a couple years in the oven. I think you're going to get, um, I, I get the sense that like Snyder just really likes him, just from a versatility standpoint, the passing, the basketball IQ. I just think he's a really good fit for him in particular. So he's someone that I, I would say I'm probably most excited to watch this year, just to kind of get a look at his progression, especially with the shot. If you can add the shot and add, some respectability there, then it really does open a lot for him. Um, but overall, I, I do like their position as far as like a combination of contracts, proven talent and Murray and Young, and then some intriguing young talent. And obviously now they have the best coach they've had since Budenholzer. Um, so you have confidence at least they're going to be deployed the right way. And just on a lesser note too, like 
I liked some of the moves they made in the margins this year. Like Wes Matthews was a really good get, I thought, for for the minimum. You know, it, obviously he's getting longer in the tooth, uh, but I think getting a guy that is still a good defender who has versatility, uh, defending across guard spots is really nice to have. He's somebody they can play with either of their two point guards is nice. Patty Mills, too, and just as an emergency ball handler, I think he's nice to have around a great locker room guy, somebody that's always been on winning teams, has been a champion before. Um, both these guys, I think, you know, they don't have a lot left in the league, but I do like the improvement as far as like, you know, that 10 to 12 spots in the rotation over the last year. So I think the depth on this team is pretty good. You know, I've, I've listened to like the low post and some of the national pods, and I have heard that sentiment a bit. I mean, it's still pretty improving depth outside of like Bogdanovich and Okongwu and the bench. There's still some guys that we haven't seen in true rotation roles. So we're, we are kind of projecting there, but I, I really do like their nine man rotation a good bit. And I think the, the fringe depth is improved over last year too. So overall, I, I do like their off season, if, even if it hasn't had like this major move outside of the Collins trade. Yeah. I was going to ask you that too, because that's something that we talked about offline, but one of the sneaky things they did last year in the middle of the season was just, improve their depth and it was not sexy at all but like like because you know guys like garrison matthews and bruno fernando are not sexy but they were better than what they had before um and of course Sidney bay was got more attention and right, rightfully so and he, he improved their depth you know you of course you lose collins so that takes away a little bit of it but they're so much better right now you know nine to 14 10 to 14 yeah than they were last year and yeah you, you take collins out and move everybody up but but to the combination of the improved depth and I'm with you on West Matthews in particular. I think Mills might be kind of cooked, but even if he doesn't have to play, just being a veteran presence, another guy that you can put out there to kind of mentor Kobe Bufkin, all that stuff is probably good. And then, you know, you do get a full season of Sadiq Bay, and like you you brought up Snyder. So I wanted to ask you about Snyder too before I forget to do that. Um, best coach since Bud is something I definitely agree with. I know Nate led them to a conference finals, but I think Quinn Snyder is a much better coach than Emmett Millen. And like, I, I did Josh Lloyd's podcast, Locked on Fantasy Basketball, this week, and I think he was a little bit surprised by my framing, but like I, I'm picking the Hawks to be significantly better than they were last year, even acknowledging that you know I get the roster um, sort of, I don't know, pullback because of the fact that they didn't really improve in the way that you might imagine, but I think the combination of, and you can stop me if you disagree with me, but like the combination of internal improvement – on young guys who, you know, growth is not linear. I'm always the first one to say that, but I think you can reasonably expect guys like Griffin and Johnson to be better than they were a year ago, just by, by being another, another year in. Um, and I think even if you go, you know, go player by player, we don't, we don't have to do that. I don't know about you, Andrew, like nobody had a great season last year. Like guys were fine. Like Trey played fine. It wasn't like, no, it wasn't like anybody was terrible, but like, it wasn't like there's anybody that has, that has like a stark regression to expect maybe the older guys, you know, your bogeys and clinches from age stuff, but like none of their core guys, Trey included, had like great seasons for them. DeJounte, same thing. So like, I think there's some reason to believe in an uptick and it's like a combination of all of those things, but I feel like they're also banking on Snyder quite a bit because that's kind of the only thing that you, that you can kind of point to as being quote unquote new is this new voice in the room. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all points. Each offseason, uh, there's always one team that I attack as far as over-unders on, on the overside. <laughs> like two years ago, I, I really liked the Timberwolves. I thought they were going to have a good year. And last year, I was really on the Kings. Um, I remember when we did the uh, offseason pod last year, I, I picked the Hawks to be a play-in team. You know, I, I liked getting DeJounte, but when you factor in what they left, I just what they lost, I didn't think they really improved all that much. But with this year, you know, they don't have a lame duck coach anymore. 
I think we're going to get more positive regression from Trey as far as you know an efficiency standpoint. You also have one more year of the fit with DeJounte where I, I expect to see more improvement there. I think that the shooting is, overall has improved from last year. I think what they were 30th last year in, in, in three-point – it was either percentage or attempts. I can't remember. Um, but just the improvement, uh, having Bogdanovich having a healthy offseason I think is big. And then you have Griffin that I think is going to add a lot in shooting as well as Bay. So I think the team has the outlines more of being a Snyder team than the one he took over midseason, which is really constructed to be a, you know, a Nate McMillan team, a team that's going to play slow, try to avoid turn- turnovers, play for the mid-range, um, and defend. This year, I, th- I think it just makes more coherent sense for how Snyder wants to approach things. So overall, I, I am pretty optimistic. I mean, there's a good bit of projection involved just because you have to expect guys like Griffin and uh, Jalen Johnson to make significant leaps to be positive rotation players. But I think the early signs there have been promising. I mean, Griffin, he, he's really just, his trajectory has just been nothing but up and to the right for really the last, you know, the back half of that season. The way he, he closed was just so impressive to me. Um, so overall, yeah, I, I really do like them as an over team this year. I, I think they're going to be a top six seed. seed. Um, a point that I've made to you a lot too uh, offline is I, I really think they need to win a playoff series this year. Like that's there's just yep. a lot of there's just a lot of questions about the team for a lot of reasons. You know the front office Trey I think has reached the point of now being one of the most underrated players in the league. Like I, I, I really just <laughs> I say that like confidently. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league now, and I think that he really does need to have both a good individual season and some playoff success to kind of dispel some of the notions about him and also get him some of the more of the opportunities that he wants as far as, you know, postseason recognition, as far as like all NBA teams, um, having a chance to play for team USA, he really needs to try and change the perception of him. So I, I think it is really important to win a playoff series this year. That's um, in part why I'm not as high on like cashing in Capella if the offer isn't good enough, because I think he's somebody that can help you get that favorable matchup. They really need to try to get to that four or five seed, you know, kind of deal where they're basically even money to win that series. Um, I remember after the season, Capella, I thought, had a really good quote that if they want to go deeper in the playoffs, they need to be better in the regular season to get better matchups. So (laughs) I think that's like, yeah, I think that's a very pertinent point. And I think that's something that they're going to really focus on the regular season is just try not to come out slow and try and establish things early and put themselves in position to be. Uh, a top five seed. So yeah, I like them a lot this year. I'm sure I'll talk about this more as we get into training camp and October and all that stuff. But like, I agree with the premise that you put out there of like, this is kind of an important season, which every season is important, but you know, the fact that like ownership level and beyond, like they've, they've still, it's, I know it breaks everybody's brain, but like, this has never been a, what I would describe as a good regular season team. They had basically one run of two months in 2001 and 2021 where they were really good from like, you know, late, you know, February to March or whatever it was. And then that's kind of it. They've always been, they haven't been bad either. They've been a 500 ish team, but you know, Clint's point is right. I'm glad you brought it up. Like, you know, most, there are some exceptions of course, but most teams in the NBA for you to have real success you need to like prove you can go out and win. You know, 50 is kind of an arbitrary benchmark people use. Like even, you know, go win 47 games, go win 48 games. That would be a large step forward from where they've been the last couple of years. And like, I think it's very attainable, but you know, that's, the teams will take you seriously if you are not able to do that. And like, there's, and then once you get to that point, then there's the next step of like, what you don't want to be is like the, you know, 10 years ago Hawks that 
were there every year and everyone knew that was what they, that was, that was all they were going to be able to do. That's a different problem, but honestly, that's a good problem to have. Like if you're just good every year, like actually good every year, that's not a bad thing to be in general. But yeah, it's, I think it's a really important point that you're making. And I think it's one that again is attainable, but they have some stuff to prove and taking it back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast, like, I think if your ownership, especially this owner with, you know, while he's, you know, always indicated in terms of what his actions are, you know, if they don't win at a high level, I'm I'm talking about like high forties or better this year, and maybe, maybe win a playoff series to your point. Like I don't see them, you know, investing more. Like it's one of those things where like, I think there has to be some sort of proof of concept. And I think we believe it. We watch this stuff closely and, I think there's a very interesting and like pretty easy nuance pitch as to like how this team gets a lot better this year, but they have to actually do it. And like, this is if, okay, let's just say this, this is, this would be year three of middling. If they they're over under right now, it's 41 and a half wins. I've already said, I'm going to be, I'll be over on that. You just said the same thing. Yeah. Way over. Let's just say though, they won 42 games this year without like some crazy injury or whatever. That's not a good result, man. Like that, that'd be three seasons in a row of really being mediocre. Like the, the jokes all year last year were not untrue about just, just how mid they were. And they weren't even hurt. Like they had a pretty healthy roster. Like if that happens again, then there's then you start asking the big picture questions. Then I'm not trying to say it's gonna happen, but it might. You start getting a lot more external heat about like what are you even doing down here? So like I don't want to put I don't want to place too much pressure on this team on this team this season. I think, but the, I think internally, like they're going to expect some results here with Quinn and that investment and all the stuff that they've been doing. It's like a very interesting place to be because they, they didn't push all in by any means, but they are invested pretty heavily. It's low key an important year. Is is yeah. kind of the way I look at it. Like they're still a young enough team where if things don't go quite as planned this year, they still have outs. Agreed. But with the investment they made in Murray, with bringing in Snyder, with the heat that Trey's getting. They need to take a step forward in my view. And personally, like I see them being like a 47, 48 win team. I just think that the leap that they're going to make under Snyder in a second year is, is going to be substantive. Um, but I, I think it is important to have a good showing in the playoffs. Like this past year, they really overachieved. There was never a point where you thought they were going to win the series, I don't think. But they didn't get annihilated like they did the year prior. Um, I think you could see the outlines of a potential good team, especially on offense. Um, but really they need to have a, a good showing in part to show that they could be an attractive destination for hiring talent. Like you, you need to be able to persuade guys like, like a Siakam, for example, who has been he- very hesitant to leave Toronto for a number of reasons, of course, but you want to make the case that you're not that far away to establish talent. You know, you, you have a lot of guys that are not yet in the prime or only about to enter the prime. So that could be appealing for, for guys. If you, have a proof of concept, like you said, but they really just need to show that they have made a demonstrable step forward this, this coming season. And so I think winning a playoff series is really like the goal yeah, for me anyway. All right. That is going to be it for today's podcast with myself and Andrew Kelly. If you are wondering, part two will be available tomorrow. In addition to the Atlanta Hawks regular season schedule, which will be coming out on Thursday afternoon slash evening. So my plan is to touch on the high points of the schedule on Thursday and then attach that to part two with Andrew as I'll be traveling in the middle of the day on Thursday as well. But with all that said, please subscribe to this podcast so you can ensure you can get every single episode delivered directly to you. You can find us anywhere you get your podcast, places like Apple and Spotify, as well as YouTube on the video side. Please follow the show on Twitter slash 
X at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on that platform at BT Roland. And uh, one more time, thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you all tomorrow with some schedule talk and more with Andrew Kelly.